Are you confused about real food and what's healthy and good for the planet? Do you need the facts about local, organic, and sustainable food? Well, get ready to change the way you eat. Get ready for The Appropriate Omnivore with Aaron Zober. Hello, and welcome to another episode of The Appropriate Omnivore. I'm your host, Aaron Zober, covering lifestyles in the world of real food. On my blog and podcast, I stress the importance of organics. Today, I have two guests who are on a mission to remove harmful pesticides from the food system. Justin Herber is the chief brand officer of Tractor Beverage, the first and only certified organic, non-GMO beverage line in the food service industry. And Stephanie Bledsoe is the founder of Landback Ag. Stephanie is also a consulting agronomist for Tractor Beverage as they work together on the Organic Impact Tracker. Justin, Stephanie, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having us, Aaron. We really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, Aaron. Excited to be here. And I'm excited to have you on. We met back in March at the Natural Products Expo West in Anaheim, and you had one of the most interesting concepts. It blew me away what you were doing with the Organic Impact Tracker. Plus, I've been a longtime admirer of the Tractor Beverage Company for being the first to offer an organic non-GMO soda pop. Well, thank you so much for saying so. It was an exciting event, and it's really good to see the energy that's happening around the organic space. And we definitely have an interesting model in the way that we approach what we do. So thank you for recognizing that and for bringing attention to it. Absolutely. So let's hear what each of you do and how you came to your current practices. Sure. So my name is Justin Herber, and I am the Chief Brand Officer at Tractor Beverage Company. I was the first official advisor to Tractor when it was a startup in 2015. I came on full-time as the Chief Brand Officer 18 months ago to really shepherd the brand through the next phases. My background is in brand marketing, so I came up working on accounts like Apple, Nike, and then spent quite a bit of time with Tom's from the early days, really helping the storytelling of that brand and driving not only the consumer side of it, but also the giving and the social impact side of the business through storytelling. So that is what brought me to Tractor. The founders looked to me and said, hey, how can we do something that has a lot of heart to it? How can we do something that disrupts? How can we do something that makes a difference? And that's where I came in pretty early. And Stephanie, tell the listeners about your background and what you're currently doing. Okay. All right. Thank you. I am formerly known as a doctor of plant medicine. I don't make medicines from plants. <laughs> That's always the first question that I get. But instead of that, rather, I come up with the medicines for plants. So basically what I do is I'm an agronomist. So that entails figuring out the best ways to grow plants while balancing the soil fertility, looking at all the pest management practices, managing of pest diseases, nematodes, um, and all those things that can be destructive to crops. And of course, the water management and just balancing all of those three things in the most sustainable way to grow plants. We have a commitment when we're going through the doctor of plant medicine, sort of like the Hippocratic Oath for doctors do no harm. So everything that we do, we try to do that with the health of the planet in mind and create the least impact from these agronomic programs as we possibly can. So that's my formal training. 
a little bit about why I'm in the sustainable agriculture. I started out in the landscape and golf course industry when I first came out of college. Those were just the opportunities that I had available to me. And of course, that's a pretty pesticide-laden industry segment of agriculture, and it needs to be perfect, kind of a Disney World, very, very much based on aesthetics. And so I got a chance to really see what the effects of pesticides and organic fertilizers were with the runoff and non-point source pollution, and also the effects on people over the years, just working with teams of agronomists that were working with pesticides, including myself. I had a really long period of exposure to pesticides while I was working in the trenches and trying to figure out the best pesticide formulations, which I have to be honest, at that time, kind of considered that the medicines for plants, but actually they're pretty toxic and didn't really realize what the effects of chronic exposure could be until I became ill myself with a neurological disorder and didn't really put it together. But then not that long afterwards, my daughter was born, who I became pregnant with her during that period of chronic pesticide exposure, immediately quit all that and got away from it when I found out I was pregnant. But when she was years old, she got diagnosed with a neurological based cancer called neuroblastoma. And just throughout that whole process, I think it's probably kind of my scientific mind. I always want to know the why and look at the data and look at case studies and Lo and behold, I found out that there were some studies correlating pesticide exposure to having a child with cancer. So that's when I really started putting the pieces of the puzzle together and, and thinking, you know, maybe my neurological illness had to do with chronic pesticide exposure, and maybe that was connected to her illness too. So as painful as that was, unfortunately, she passed away in 2010. It's a really aggressive form of cancer. But ever since then, what I can say about that is it's really opened my eyes to that, wow, yeah, this pesticide safety thing is a big deal. And then also learning about the impact of pesticides on soil health and on the health of the planet. And I've come a long way since then with all that knowledge. And that's what I would like to dedicate my life to now is how do we eliminate pesticides from the food system? It's going to be a transition, a long one, but we're chipping away at it every way that we can. I imagine anyone that's gone through what you have and many people for other reasons, we see the importance of avoiding pesticides and how valuable organic products are. A question that I have for both of you is, we certainly are seeing now a lot of organic products on the market. When you first got into this, do you th- Did you think that we'd be this far along with organic foods? I think we're seeing a wide adoption of organics because people are beginning to associate it with human and planetary health. And especially the younger the generations are, the more they understand this, the more they care about it, the more they look to shop organic. But we've also seen that there's a big gap in understanding of what organic means. A lot of people don't associate organic with being free of synthetic pesticides. So that was the big opportunity that we saw with Organic Impact Tracker was to be able to contextualize what we had experienced in our lives. So not only Dr. Stephanie, but our founder, Travis Potter, he was a farmer who cleaned up his family's food system because of the same things that he was observing. And so for us, it's really exciting that there's more energy around organics, but I think it's contextualizing what that really means so that people have a broader understanding so that we can create the change that we want to see. Yeah, absolutely. And just to expand on that a little bit, Certified organic cropland has increased 79% from 2011 to 2021, and it's expanded up into 3.6 million acres currently. Organic sales have also nearly doubled since 2010, so I think that's a really good indicator of how far we've come in that period of time as far as organic demand. 
And I think that that's only going to continue to increase this younger generation, especially they're very interested in eating healthy. People are becoming more educated around why we need to eat healthy and organic farming practices and why they're better for the planet. And I think that we're on board with that and continue to build the organic impact tractor and also educate people on things like soil health and the impact of pesticides on the soil microbiome and also nutrient density of crops that are growing organically and why that's important and how that supports healthy immune and overall health. I see a bright future for it. That's great. I do too. So how did the two of you first connect? So I'll take the first pass at it and then Stephanie can provide some color. But our founder, Travis Potter, as I said, went on a mission to clean up his family's food system. He had worked on farms and he saw the dangers of harmful pesticides. And when you're using conventional practices, he saw not only the animals were less healthy, but the land was less healthy and the people were less healthy. And he says that you have farmers that aren't living to the age of retirement. How are we going to feed people? So he really went on a mission to clean that up. And that's how Stephanie and Travis entered each other's orbit. So Stephanie, if you could elaborate a little more on that. Yeah, absolutely. I used to work with someone who was friends with Travis a while back, like five years ago or so. And he introduced us in 2018. And at the time, Travis was putting a lot of thought into what sorts of organic feed crop and soil amendments could be developed based on some natural plant extracts that we could offer to farmers to help them transition into regenerative organics. So we started a really interesting conversation. And what we decided to do was to start doing some research studies. And that was how Land Back All started with the whole goal of doing research to develop these organic seed amendments. And we did a year's worth of trials and came up with some very interesting formulations that still need more work. There need to be rate studies and everything. So that's part of my work and that's my work with Land Back. And that's how we met. And so we look forward to continuing that, be able to help farmers in the transition down the line. Yes, I think it's a great partnership. When you launched the Organic Impact Tracker, what was your reaction to the data collected from it? I think when we entered it, we were looking for data to help inform our narrative because Dr. Stephanie had such a personal story. Travis had such a personal story too. So we knew that there was going to be an impact and we had a sense of the scale. But I think when we saw the numbers, we said, wow, that's a lot of pesticides. And even beyond just the pesticide usage, we're also supporting a lot of organic land. We're preventing a lot of carbon emissions. So we were able to see the true impact of what we're doing. I think it was exactly what we were looking for to say, this is going to help us translate what we think people should know about. This is going to help translate what we've tried to introduce into our family's eating habits and into Stephanie's world of the way that we think about the land and the crop and the soil biome. So for us, there were some surprises at how much pesticide is being used, how impactful certain ingredients are and how really dense the spray is on certain ingredients. But I think it was an affirmer, but it was also your jaw drops to the floor on some of this stuff. Yeah, I would like to add on to that too. So if you look at it, I was just blown away when we look at what the impact that we have based on the amount of beverage that moves out of tractor. But over the course of the last three years, 47 tons of pesticides, over 7,000 acres. That's pretty significant. And that is tons. I just want to make the distinction, though. That's tons of pesticide, concentrated pesticide in the bottle. And that gets diluted. And there's all kinds of different rates of how you would mix that with water. And it might be like a half an ounce per acre, up to 10 ounces per acre or whatnot. But when you do some conversions, if you made the assumption 
that those were all liquid concentrates and you were mixing them in with water. Just with some rough estimates, it comes out to about 8,500 gallons per year. Then if you divide that by those 7,000 acres, you're saving about a gallon of concentrated pesticide per year. But once that's diluted, it's really diluted a lot. So it really measures to about anywhere between 250 to 500 gallons of the actual spray coming out of the sprayer over the land for one acre every year. So when you think about it in those terms, in the potential for runoff into waterways, the effects on the soil microbiome, and also the exposure to risk for humans, the ones who are doing the applications, and people living in surrounding communities that may have some of that drift come over onto their properties or how pets are affected and wildlife and biodiversity, that's really significant. Yeah, and to kind of like put a consumer lens on this, imagine with what we did last year, it's about 62,000 pints of the raw pesticide. So imagine a baseball stadium or a football stadium and having every single person in that stadium drink a full pint of raw synthetic pesticides. That is how much we're removing from the food system. When you first saw the results to the organic impact tractor, how did it match your expectations? Were you expecting to see more pesticides? Were you expecting to see less? As an agronomist, you can't be a specialist in every single crop. And there are so many different ingredients used in the beverages. Let's just say that the list I originally started out with was probably 15 or 20 ingredients that I had to go in and look. So I really didn't have a perspective on how much pesticide each different crop utilized. But once I dug into it, it was super interesting because I got to see which ingredients are heavy hitters the ones that really, it takes a lot of pesticides to grow those in a conventional way versus ones that were, you know, a little bit milder. So I guess going into it, I knew it was going to be significant, no doubt about it, just because I've been in the industry and I have talked with a lot of pharmacists. I see what goes on, but it was just incredible what it was. Once I actually applied that to the amount of beverage that the tractor was providing, I thought that was astronomical. I was really taken aback. And since seeing these results, how has the data impacted the organic farming practices for tractor beverage? I think what it's done is it's affirmed our farming practices and helped communicate so that we can translate what we've known. But I do think it highlights some ingredients that are more potent and some ways in which we can source in the future that can help drive further impact. And the great thing is, too, is it allows things to benchmark against as far as goal setting for how we want to go about whether it's product development or sales goals and what we can directly affect and measure against. Yeah, we're very excited to see, you know, obviously as the business grows and Tractor acquires more important partners, our impact is just going to keep increasing, increasing over time. And that'll be exciting to see, but also hoping that through what we're doing, we can set the example for the industry and help others to start thinking in these terms and doing these quantifications as well. What are some of the ingredients that you notice were more potent with the results of the tracker? Sure, Hane. <laughs> Sugar cane was pretty potent. And also peach. Yeah. Mango jumped out to me. Mango was. And also one thing that's interesting too is we sell our non-carbonated drinks, but we also have carbonated drinks. And our carbonated drinks are essentially craft sodas and when we look at the organic land that supports, that was truly mind-blowing. With all the different types of ingredients we source that go into our soda products, those are very supportive of organic land practices. So I think that was a real eye-opener for me when you look at the good that what we historically think of as detrimental to our health is something that actually supports a lot of organic land. 
So that was a little bit of a mind bender. We knew that we set out to make sodas that didn't have anything artificial or any preservatives, chemicals, et cetera, in them. But seeing the organic land that our practices support was an eye-opener for me. That is very shocking. And that's an important point that you bring up because we do see a lot of sodas that use cane sugar and that's better than high fructose corn syrup. But if cane sugar has pesticides in it, then that's still problematic. Right. We're not making a claim, and I think this is an important distinction, that all of those pesticides are 100% in the food that we're eating, in the sugar. We don't have assays that are measuring the amount of pesticides and all this. So we know that there are residues. There's residue testing that takes place. And even in an organic ingredient, sometimes there are pesticide residues. But the big focus, I think, for our organic impact tracker is that we're saving those amounts of pesticides from being applied over the land. And we're protecting water by sourcing organic and also the soil health over that land. But also there are residues in food. We really are not in a position or not able to make a statement on how much of that pesticide ends up in the actual food. Of course, it's going to be significantly less. But nonetheless, there is still a lot of information out there and studies that are looking at whether or not the fact that we are ingesting pesticides in just about all the foods that we eat that are conventionally grown and what types of effects that those would have on our bodies, on our endocrine systems, on our gut microbiome, and how that is contributing or maybe upregulating our genetics to cause some of these diseases. That's a good point that you bring up about pesticides found in organic foods because I know that the USDA does allow for some organic pesticides to be sprayed on foods and still have the organic label. So is the organic impact tracker also about finding organic pesticides, about finding organic pesticides in these foods and then doing the best to avoid those with organic farming? That's a really great question. There's a lot of conversation around this too. Organic pesticides, you wouldn't just want to go and drink a bottle of any pesticide just because it was labeled organic. Interestingly, they used to say, oh, Roundup is so safe you can drink it. And there's an old rumor going around whether it's true or not. I don't know, but it's like, oh, Roundup is so safe you can drink it. But oh, don't do that. It's cool. There's research now that shows how it destroys the gut microbiome. But organic pesticides are typically derived from biologicals or plant extracts, from natural ingredients, and just generally safer. Some of them are very specific on which groups of insects that they may have activity against and just generally safer. So we're not really measuring the amount of organic pesticides in the tracker. We're just looking at the conventional pesticides that are on a broad scale, just generally more toxic. What are we saving from getting on the land and into the food system? So it's not really a comparative between organic pesticides versus synthetics because it's not really apples to apples. We're just saying how many synthetics are we avoiding, which are typically more toxic than organic. And we've actually even gone the extra mile and we have our products tested for glyphosate to just make sure that there are no synthetic chemicals coming into our product. So you know, we have the rigorous standards of the USDA certified organic. And then we even go the extra mile and just making sure that our products are tested. So we want to make sure that we're pushing the standards of how clean organic can be and helping to use this metric to hopefully inspire more to do the same. Excellent. And so Landback Ag and the Organic Impact Tracker is one of the 
projects which Tractor Beverage Company is involved with. Justin, what are some of the other businesses that you partner with and projects that you're working on? We fold it in different partners. So there's obviously our data partner, How Good, who they're the gold standard as far as ingredient sustainability and helping us get to the data set and understanding. And then there's our sourcing partner, Carrie, who we've been able to work with. And then there's all our partner network. So all of, we call them our pouring partners, but whoever dispenses tractor beverages, who we're starting to go out to and helping them communicate this as well. So when we launched the initiative or announced the initiative at Expo West, we we're able to share the stage with our partners at Plant Burger as well as Chipotle. So they're two of the leaders, especially in the QSR space, around providing transparency and clean ingredients and leading the charge. So we're in the phase now of rolling out this to our partners and helping them understand the impact that they're making in dispensing tractor drinks. So we're seeing this as a broader initiative that we can help support our partners and the consumer understanding and providing clean beverages through them and letting the consumer know the impact that they're making by choosing Tractor. Yes, Tractor has been a leader in non-GMO organic beverages served in restaurants. I've seen you in a number of them, and it's always great to see that restaurants are using Tractor because it's currently the only organic non-GMO fountain beverage I've seen it in Chipotle and a number of other restaurants throughout Los Angeles. Yeah, and we've really grown. And so we're in over 5,000 locations nationwide. Chipotle is an amazing partner. And then we have a lot of other partners that also include not only the fast casuals, but hospitals and universities, corporate BNI, some non-commercial places. So really making sure we're trying to provide the consumer a clean option when they go to the beverage station. Consumers are used to having options everywhere they go, whether it's to their local retailer or green grocer or to even their local drugstore or pharmacy or convenience store. And in fast casual, there hasn't really been innovation in 40 to 50 years. So we're trying to provide consumers a premium drink that kind of cuts out the middleman and gives them something that's organic, clean, that they can feel good about drinking. And also going through the food service channels, we're cutting out a lot of the middleman too. We're not slotting on shelf. We're not paying for shelf space. We're cutting down on the water that we're shipping. So since we ship concentrate, that means we're not in the water shipping business. We're able to deliver products directly through our pouring partners that are responsibly delivered and that also bring the value to the consumer. So they're delicious, really great premium beverages that are responsibly delivered through our pouring partners. I thought it was really interesting, Justin, when we were in Expo, we had different flavors set out, and mango was hands down the most popular. <laughs> so just thinking about that, and that mango is kind of one of the heavy hitters regarding synthetic pesticides. What a great opportunity to help people make a healthy choice there. Absolutely. So why don't you tell us about the different flavors offered by Tractor Beverage? So we have two platforms right now. So there's the carbonated and the non-carbonated. So the carbonated are your craft sodas. We have a cola, cola, cola light. Our cherry cream and root beer are really great. We have fun flavors like lemongrass and coconut. So the soda business is we're in select markets and in select places. So a lot of places that are looking for a clean option, Hart House, Kevin Hart's restaurant carries us, Bird Call in Denver carries us. So the tractor sodas were how we launched it. And then there's the non-carbonated, which are what you'd see at Chipotle. So they're craft beverages. Some people call them refreshers. Others call them aqua frescas, but they are fruit and spice based. So we have over, I believe, 20 flavors 
there. So we really try and work with our restaurant operators to figure out the best menu pairing for them based on region, based on menu. So you'll see kind of four options generally at Chipotle, the four standard options, but then you might go to a true food kitchen and see something a little bit different. So we also have black tea, sweet tea, and green tea as well. So we pride ourselves in being able to provide a full portfolio. And then beyond that, our concentrates can be used in frozen programs, also as a base in mixology programs. So really the application for what we're doing is pretty broad, but the consumers will see it largely at a Chipotle, a Bolle, a Roti Grill, so hospitals and universities, et cetera. Lots of great restaurants that you bring up. Chipotle certainly raised the bar in terms of fast, casual, and sustainable, responsible sourcing. True Food Kitchen, that's another great one with a menu designed by Dr. Andrew Weil. And I know you're also in a new restaurant launched by Chipotle called Farmesa, which serves salads with responsibly sourced ingredients. So lots of great restaurants that you partner with that fit very well with the Cracker beverage message and mission. It's really great. And our partners are looking for something that they can use to complement their meal programs and then also to serve their guests too. So we pride ourselves in being able to be an and to their legacy programs. So as we're increasing adoption, we're encouraging our partners to keep what works. We believe in consumer choice. If people want to have the legacy products that they've grown up with, great. But we also believe in being an and. So we want to be able to sit alongside those programs and deliver consumers something that's super delicious and they can also feel good about what they're drinking and we're being transparent with our practices and with hopefully the good that it does in the world around us. Yes, and in addition to restaurants, you had mentioned hospitals, which my eyes light up when I hear that. That seems like a no-brainer. Hospitals are places where people are supposed to get better, recover from being sick. So it doesn't make any sense for a hospital to be serving beverages and foods with pesticides and other harsh chemicals. I think every hospital should be serving tractor. (laughs) Absolutely. From your lips to God's ears. And also, we're looking at a lot of universities, too. We're in a handful of universities, so really working with those cafeteria programs. So really looking for ways that we can provide clean options. But hospitals, yeah, that feels like it is really a values-aligned proposition. Universities speak a lot to me. I know my experience in college is similar to many. It's the first time that you're away from home and you get to make decisions on your own. And sometimes those end up being not so great decisions. I certainly had that experience and I'm not proud of all of it, but it is a lot of what led to me wanting to do this appropriate omnivore blog and podcast. So I think that's great for students to see organic options at the colleges that they're attending and learn more about the benefits of consuming foods which are healthier and free of pesticides and chemicals. I wish they had that when I was in college. That are also delicious, by the way. Yes, they are. And as you bring up the flavors, you mentioned root beer, which is my favorite type of soda or pop as we say in the midwest (laughs) (laughs) we would say that's your favorite kind of coke (laughs) everything's a coke down here in the south oh yes many terms for it pop soda coke tonic getting back to the different flavors of pop as i call it are you working on developing any new ones so right now we have our standard portfolio and then 
we'll occasionally do a limited time offering with someone like a Chipotle, for instance. So Chipotle rolled out their watermelon limeade last summer, which became a fan favorite and is truly delicious. So it's a great summertime drink. So the current offering, we launched a few new flavors last year. So strawberry, dragon fruit, peach, mango. So those are starting to show up in different locations. Clementine, one of the fun things to do with Tractor is also to mix them. So tea is a great base. So you'll see people doing a peach tea or kind of mixing them together. So it's a fun way to mix the program. But right now we have our current slate of products that are in market. Looking at your current flavors, I know one of the ones you don't have, which many other soda pop companies have, is a Dr. Pepper flavor. Is that something you've considered? We have a sales distribution relationship with Curd Dr. Pepper. So they have their product, which is really great. And the Dr. Pepper story is rooted in the pharmacy, a regional beverage that was able to really expand. And KDP, they're able to work in both legacy brand contracts. So they're able to help us really bring our product into new environments because Dr. Pepper isn't a cola. It isn't a root beer. It exists uniquely on its own. And they're actually the most widely distributed soft drink in the U.S., I believe. So that's because they are unique in their own right. So they have their peppery flavor, but we've never commercialized a riff on the Dr. Pepper. So I think that we've maybe experimented with it. Travis has in his test kitchen, but we've never commercialized anything like it. And do you have a name for what you call your Dr. Pepper flavored beverage? Maybe Dr. Bledsoe? (laughs) (laughs) We're on it now. We've talked a lot about the organic impact cracker and what you've discovered from using it and how it's changed the organic farming practices of tractor beverage. What would you say about the overall state of organic? Do you think it's growing? Is it growing fast enough? It is definitely growing. If we look at that statistic that we discussed earlier, it's definitely growing And whether it's growing fast enough, I think for Justin and I, speak for Justin, but I think I could safely say that we would love to see it growing faster. Our goal is to eliminate pesticides if we can. So it can grow fast enough in that sense. However, like any good thing that is going to be done right, there's a transitional period. And I think we're just really at the beginning. We've had a lot of growth, but I still think that we're kind of in the infancy of growth where it's going to go. And it needs to happen slow so that it can happen correctly. And currently, there are some assistance programs available for farmers who want to transition into organic. There is quite a lot of cost and a lot of time involved in that transition. And currently the programs through the USDA, through their Farm Service Agency, and also through NRCS, Natural Resource Conservation Service, the money that's there can help them cover some of their costs with the paperwork for the initial application process. And there's some very little bit for soil testing. And then there is also money available for conservation programs that they would want to implement as part of their organic efforts, not that they're necessarily required, but things like habitat and biodiversity, conservation, promoting healthy soils through cover cropping and crop rotation and nutrient management programs that implement things like manure and compost, and then conservation tillage. And those are all really great things to do, but they're not requirements necessarily for becoming certified organic. The big focus there is using those organic 
products and your pesticide management programs and also organic certified fertilizers. Um, there's a lot of assistance we had to do really great things on the farm, but there's just not that much assistance available considering that during your transition period, they may see a decrease in yield for the first several years. And I think that's common. And eventually as that soil health is built, they may be able to get back up to what conventional yields would be. But there's a lot more cost involved than just the paperwork and covering this. And I understand that they can charge more for organic foods in the long run. But one of the concerns is that I'm pretty passionate about is producing healthier, more nutrient-dense, safer foods to eat through organic production. But they cost so much more. And we all know how expensive it is to go to Whole Foods, and that's not affordable by most people. And in a perfect world, we would want to have good organic food available to everyone, have food equity. So it's complex. What I think the key to that is going to be more assistance for organic farmers, possibly in the terms of subsidies, so that they can offer it at a lower price. And maybe those are next steps. That's a long-term goal, and hopefully we'll see some work in that area in the future. And we're seeing consumer demand for it, right? And consumer demand is what hopefully drives the adoption of these practices, too. Dr. Stephanie pointed out there is more organic farming happening within the U.S., but the consumer demand is growing a lot, too. So I think if we can have consumer demand meet subsidization of the organic farm practices, then we can hopefully provide more nutrient-dense, safer foods for more people. The high cost of organic is certainly a talking point for those that aren't willing to make the switch over to it. And Justin, you bring up about the consumer demand. This is really all about supply and demand and general economics. I look back at other technologies, when they were new, they were more expensive. Of course, organic is really an older technology that we're reviving, but I think it's the same principle. Take, for instance, HDTVs. When they first came out, they were super expensive. No one could afford them. Now, we're all able to buy them. We see that with so many different things going back way further. When cars were first out, not everyone could afford it, but now generally everybody can afford a car. So I really think it's about supply and demand. And if there is more demand for organics and we have more supply, then the cost will go down, especially if, as I know all three of us want to see it, organic is the standard and everything is organic, then it would definitely be a low price because that's what everyone's buying. Absolutely. And that's something that we've prided ourselves on too with Tractor is making sure that our customer, meaning who's dispensing our beverages, that we are price competitive with legacy brands. And also by introducing Tractor, then they can actually drive revenue through having a new addition to their program. So We've really been efficient about the way we think about our whole program and the way that we can deliver delicious organic premiums at the same price point as what the other cup is to the consumer. And we also make that value additive to our customer as well. There is the misnomer that organic is more expensive, but we've done everything we can to make sure that we're delivering premium organic products without the middlemen, without the markup, everyone who we can. So we talk about creating a cleaner, healthier planet one drink at a time and making organic available to all. And that's part of our program, the way we've designed the whole business structure of what we do and the business model, the way we deliver. So we hope that we can be part of that change and helping drive not only the adoption of organic products and the consumption of them, but also in turn the adoption of organic farm practices to help really resolve that challenge that we're talking about. 
In addition to being organic, now we're seeing a lot of CPG brands go regenerative. Do you think being regenerative helps to eliminate pesticides? Yes, I do. The whole goal of regenerative is to regenerate the soil. I mean, there's more component to regenerating biodiversity through different things and having pollinators. There's many different ways that you can generate that. But when you think about regenerating the soil, there's a whole network of life that happens under the ground that most, and I can't say most people, but scientists do definitely think about it. But that really affect the quality of the plants, okay? And I'm sure you've probably heard of mycorrhizae. That's just one example. It's a fungus that's a beneficial fungus that lives in the soil, and it has these tight interactions with roots, and it can expand way beyond just the footprint of the plant and down into the soil to mine nutrients that maybe aren't readily available right there at the soil. That's a very simple explanation of what some beneficial organism can do for a plant in the soil. And it does a lot more than that, but we can't really go into that for this call today. But those interactions are super necessary. One, for the structure of the soil, because they also produce these exudates and they condition the soil, make all these little microclimates and just result in good clumping of the soil and good oxygenation of the soil, good percolation of rainfall into the soil so that that can act as a reservoir. So you reduce your irrigation needs. You can cut down on your need for fertilizer because of it if you have that soil microbiome and it's just really necessary just for the structure. Without it, the soil becomes kind of sterile and if you're applying pesticides over the soil and killing that microbiome, then it can become compacted. You don't have that life and you're going to need to rely on a lot more fertilizers to keep the plants going. And also when you destroy the soil health, it destroys the resiliency of the farm. So when you do get, let's see, you're always going to have insects and diseases coming in that need to be managed. But if you've got a healthy soil microbiome, the plants are going to be much more healthy and much more resistant to those attacks. So they're going to have a higher treatment threshold. It's like humans. If we eat healthy, we exercise, we take good care of our bodies. If we get sick with the flu or COVID or anything, even cancer, we're going to be a lot more effective at fighting off that disease and getting over it quickly. It's the same thing with plants and pesticides. Their immune system is based on the health of the soil and the soil microbiome beneath them that have co-evolved with plants. Without that, they're just reliant. It's kind of like being on an IV with IV nutrition and antibiotics. They just have to rely on that. And those are the pesticides and the inorganic fertilizers. Me personally, I think the regenerative is great because it's pushing the envelope for organics and consumer awareness. So I think the more we can get to farm practices that are soil biome rich, that create a healthier planet, that help store the carbon, that help provide more nutrient-dense options, the better. So there are a lot of folks kind of leading the charge in that. And we're really just happy to see energy around raising awareness for it, around what it means for our food systems, what it means for not only the world, but our own personal worlds, the worlds that we live in with our children, our families, etc. Justin and Stephanie, we're just about out of time, but before we go, are there any final thoughts you'd like to give about the Organic Impact Cracker and Tractor Beverage Company? I would just like to say thank you for having us on and thank you for your attention to this. We're really hoping to translate the difference of organic to people, but also let them know that organic means delicious. We really love our flavors. We hope that consumers love them too and that they Understand that organic isn't some inaccessible type of product, but it actually means super flavorful that can be enjoyed with any type of meal and that even the small decisions you make can help add up to a world of difference. So really hoping that the Organic Impact Tracker helps translate that to consumers. 
but also our partners who choose to pour tractor. Well, I just am very excited to be part of the Organic Impact Tracker and to be able to partner with Tractor on that and working with their team. And what's such a culture, it's just a culture and a mentality like I've never seen with any other company. And the founders have a pretty longstanding working relationship with them now and knowing them and their families. They're just incredible human beings who have their hearts in the right place. And this is unheard of. I went to a meeting with somebody the other day that was just like, wow, you guys are doing this just to increase awareness, not for really anything to necessarily benefit ourselves, but because it's an important mission and just because that's where the heart is and the DNA of the company. So I'm super honored to be a part of it. I can't wait to see where we go next and what other metrics we're going to bring on next. And I just think we're doing the good work. And I appreciate the opportunity. I'd say it's more than good work. It's excellent work. It's an amazing mission that the two of you and the Organic Impact Tractor and Tractor Beverages are on. So for listeners that would like to know more about this mission and the company, let the listeners know where they can find it online, its web address and any social media accounts. Perfect. So you can find everything you need to know on drinktractor.com. Or if you go to organicimpacttracker.com, it'll take you to our methodology, how we came about this, the partners we're working with, the difference that we make. It can even show you some of our heavy hitters as far as the consumer favorite beverages and the difference that they've made. All of our social handles are drink tractors, so we're on all the major social handles. Yeah, we appreciate the time and the engagement and looking forward to continuing to make the world a cleaner, healthier place one drink at a time. I'm looking forward to that, too. It's great having both of you on. So much information that we've gone over on this episode. It's amazing. Thank you so oh, much. Great to be here. Thank you. That's all for this episode of The Appropriate Omnivore. I'll be off for the month of May and will be returning in June. Follow me on social media for more information on when I'll be back. And to make sure you never miss any of my podcasts, go subscribe to The Appropriate Omnivore on your favorite podcast site or app. You can also listen to all of my podcasts on my website, appropriateomnivore.com. There you can find recipes from the guests I interview, plus all of my articles covering lifestyles in the world of real food. Until next time, my pantry is officially closed. Mm-hmm.